This morning we have two readings. The first is from Luke chapter 1, verses 8 to 23, which can be found on page 855 of the Church Bibles. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will, be, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realised that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And our second reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, which can be found on page 1001 of the Church Bibles. So from verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wind and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? I think I'm right. Yeah, there we go. Somehow I managed to turn my microphone off and mute it as well. So I obviously didn't want anyone to hear what I was saying. Good. Thank you, Sarah, for reading for us. Um, I'm going to encourage you to have a Bible with you and have it handy and, and look at the passage um, as we go through it. We're going to turn to another couple of passages in the Bible as well, so it'd be good to have the, it there with you because it won't be on the screen uh, when we get to that point. Uh, go back to Luke chapter 1, if you would. That's page 855. We're going to begin there, and we'll come back to Hebrews uh, in a minute. Let me pray, though, before we uh, come to this. 
Our Father, as we gather again uh, this morning, having uh, made this a pattern for our lives week on week, we thank you once again that we have your word to us today. And we pray that, as uh, the Hebrews writer will say later on, that we will not harden our hearts as we hear your voice today. Soften our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder when the last time uh, you thought about angels was. My guess is that we don't think about them very often, except perhaps at Christmas. And at Christmas, we have uh, a load of children, normally girls, and they don a white sheet and they strap on some fake wings and they adopt a tinsel halo and they sing out of tune for their nativities. At least here in the West, angels are not prominent in our thoughts. And if they are, they're kind of those Christmas uh, sweet darlings, or perhaps they're those sort of fat baby cherubs that you see in Raphael's paintings. But they're all very sweet. But that view of angels is not the case in other parts of the world today, and it certainly wasn't the way that people uh, in the first century, uh, the original readers of the Hebrews, uh, the way they felt about angels. To the first century Jewish Christian, angels were a really big deal. They held them in high regard. According to the Bible, angels are heavenly beings. They're part of the invisible spiritual realm. And they sometimes appear in the physical realm and people see them. And far from being cute and cuddly, when people see them, they are terrified. In Luke chapter 1 we see a typical example of an angel encounter. Zechariah, we read in verse 12, was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. So you see an angel, and you don't say, oh, oh, how sweet. You say, ah, how terrifying. Almost every time an angel appears to a human, the first words out of their mouth are, don't be afraid. They're terrifying, heavenly beings, shining, fiery, glorious. To meet an angel was the closest thing to meeting with God himself in all his glory. As well as that, angels have a role. They are God's messengers. They deliver his words to humanity. In fact, actually, the the word angel just simply means messenger. So hearing from an angel was hearing from God himself. That comes through in Zechariah's encounter too. In Luke chapter 1, verse 18, we hear that Zechariah doubts the angel's message. And in verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, that is, in the heavenly realm. And I was sent, that is to the physical realm, to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Zechariah hears God speak as the angel speaks for him. And that's why it's such a big deal when he doubts the message. It's why he's made silent for nine months. To disbelieve or to disobey an angel's message was to disobey God. Now, nowhere was that more important 
than in the delivery of God's law to Moses. But that might be unfamiliar to most of us, but it's actually picked up in Hebrews chapter 2. So now's our time to turn back to Hebrews with me. Uh, Hebrews uh, 1, and then we'll look at 2 verse 2. This is page 1001. Now we're going to think more about this next week, uh, but for now, just look at what it says in 2 verse 2. The message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Jewish tradition held that God gave his law to Moses at Mount Sinai and when he did so, he did it through angelic intermediaries. The most important word from God to the Jews in their history came from God through angels to Moses. At God's command, the angels gave us God's law. That's how important and highly esteemed they are in God's universe. Uh, As I said, my guess is that most of us probably don't think about angels very much at all. And if we do, we probably don't think of them like this. But to the Jewish Christian to whom Hebrews is addressed... They believed that to meet an angel was the closest thing to meeting with God himself and to hear an angel speak was to hear God speak with all his authority. No creature more revered, no creature more honoured. But here is what our writer wants us to know, that the Son, Jesus Christ, is greater than than angels. That's a bit earlier on in our passage in chapter 1 verse 4 that he is superior to the angels. The son is greater. He's greater than the greatest being in the created universe. And therefore his message is greater than theirs, than all of theirs. That's the reason why he wants us to believe that Jesus is greater. It's because he wants us to listen more closely to Jesus and keep listening to Jesus. That's really the application of this passage. We're going to get to it next week. It's listen to this son, to the Lord Jesus. But before we get there, we need to spend a bit of time so that we come to believe that God has declared Jesus to be greater than all other beings in the universe. And the way that he does that is by turning to Israel's songbook, to the Psalms. So what we have here, and you'll see as it was read through, all these different quotations. If you include verse 5, there are seven quotations, and they all come from the Psalms. And there's one quote that's from 2 Samuel 7, that's in verse 5. But even that, that's picked up by Psalm 89 and quoted in Psalm 89. So it's all from the Psalms. And as you read it, maybe you felt like this, I certainly felt like this when I first read it, it's just a little bit overwhelming, isn't it? It's just all these references, so you're not quite sure um, what to do with them. So to try and help you, just think of it like this. If you can imagine, imagine that you're standing in a house in ancient Rome. And in the house, there is an artist And you're watching him as he creates a mosaic on the wall. 
you know, a mosaic, the thing that, a picture that's made up of lots of smaller tiles, individual pieces. Imagine the artist, he's taking tiles from older pictures and he's placing them into a new image, piece by piece, on the wall. He's filling in the image so that it starts to take shape before our eyes. And then when he lays the last one down, well, then you can stand back and you can gaze in wonder at the full glory of that image. That's what's happening in Hebrews chapter 1. He's taking these verses from the Psalms and he's placing them together so that we can see the great picture of the Son, the Lord Jesus. Now, to help us to see it on the service sheet that you received when you came in, I've just grouped the quotations into three main ideas, and we're going to look at those one at a time. So first one is verse 6, that the Son is the King of kings, and the angels worship him. Now, verse 6, I think, is the trickiest verse of the whole passage. Um, it's a little bit of a puzzle. Let me read it. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, we might have some questions like, well, look, what does he mean by firstborn, for one thing? And the second question, well, when is the firstborn brought into the world? Let's take the first question. That word, again, that of course tells us that, that he's referring back to the previous verse, to verse 5. He's building on what he's already taught us. So let me just try and remind you, if you can think back to last week, uh, Roger was preaching to us on these verses, and uh, he explained that Jesus bears the name Son in two different senses. He bears the name Son in the sense that he is the divine Son. We know that from verse 3, that he is God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. He has always been the Son. He has always existed as God. That's the first sense. But there's another sense that he is the Son in what is sometimes called the sense that he is the Davidic Son. And that's what verse 5 was referring to. Let me explain that. God had promised in centuries before, in Psalm 2 and in 2 Samuel 7, that there would come a man, a descendant of King David, who would take his place on the throne of God's people, whom God would call his son. Jesus comes to earth as a man. He is already God the Son in his divinity. And he becomes the Davidic son, or the Messiah, the one who will inherit and rule God's kingdom. But this rule begins when Jesus rises from death, and he ascends into heaven, and he sits down at the right hand, <coughs> excuse me, at the right hand of his father. That's verse three. At that moment, at his coronation. He is established, he is declared by God to be the son in his Davidic kingship. Verse 5, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now remember the idea of a mosaic being created here. The image is beginning to take shape and the image from the end of verse 3 
is an image of the heavenly throne room. That's what's being created. In that throne room, there are two thrones. There is the throne of the Father, and at his right hand, there is another throne. Mosaic he's creating is of that coronation scene. The tiles represent that which God has said in the Psalms about that moment, the moment when Jesus is crowned and sits down at the right hand of God's throne to rule with him. Verse 6 is talking about that scene, and it's a little bit confusing. It's hard to spot that straight away because of the way that our English version translates the word world. So verse 6 says, when he brings the firstborn into the world. The word world, it's not the normal word for world. It's a different word. And it's not actually speaking about Jesus' incarnation when he comes down into this earth. The word just simply means inhabited realm. It's not actually speaking about when he comes to the world as a man. It's speaking about when he returns to the heavenly realm to take his place on the throne. Now, just to show you that I'm not going completely rogue uh, here, I'd like us just to look at Psalm 89. Um, Psalm 89 quotes, uh, uses the word firstborn in it, and it gives us a real uh, big help to understanding it. So Psalm 89 is page 496. So just halfway up the left-hand column, Psalm 89, verse 26. This is what um, it says, and God is speaking here. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. It's picking up the language of 2 Samuel 7. And I will make him the firstborn. See, there's the word from Hebrews 1, verse 6. See, He already exists and then is made the firstborn. And we're told explicitly what that word means in verse 27. And I will make him the firstborn, that is, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. Do you see? God makes his son the firstborn. Not when the son is born on earth as a man, but when he is enthroned in heaven. We're in the throne room. This is when he's established and declared to be the heir. That's the firstborn, the heir. The heir of what? Well, end of verse 27, the heir of all the kingdoms of the earth. After Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, Jesus the Son is brought into the heavenly realm and made the King of Kings. That's what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6 is teaching us. And that means, therefore, that of course he's far superior to the angels. In fact, turn back to Hebrews chapter 1, page 1001. That's the last time. Uh, that we're going to turn the page, I promise. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, page 1001. Uh, 
having gazed at the throne and seeing Jesus seated at the right hand, well, now our gaze is turned to the activity around the throne. Verse 6, the angels, these greatest of heaven's creatures, creatures whom if we were to see one, we would fall flat on our face in awe and fear of, well, they see the Son's enthronement in the heavenly realm as the King of kings. And what do they do? They bow down and they worship him. Let all God's angels worship him. See, he's so much greater than them. The divine and Davidic son, he's the king of kings. And the angels worship him. Well, I hope you're hanging, hanging on in there. That, let me tell you, that was the trickiest bit. Okay, so just to encourage you, um, you can relax a little bit uh, now. It gets a little bit simpler. So here comes the next few tiles in the mosaic, verse 7 to 12. The Son is the creator king, and the angels are created servants. Verse 7 to 12 is actually one big, long, extended point. Let me just read verse 7 to begin with, though. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So on the one hand, we have the angels. In verse 7, he quotes from Psalm 104. That's a praise psalm written to praise God as the creator. And in verse 4 of the psalm, it mentions God's messengers, the angels. And it mentions them as part of the creation. They're like winds and fire. They're they're forces of great and impressive power on the earth. Think of the the might of the storm or the power of the, the flames in a forest fire awesome things, but nonetheless, they are part of the creation. Angels are made by God, and therefore, they're lesser beings who serve him. But here comes the comparison. On the other hand, verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Look closely at that. We're in the throne room again, aren't we? Who's on the throne? God. It's there in verse 8. Your throne, O God. But he's calling the Son God. That is the Davidic son, the one who's been anointed above all the others. He calls him God. Earlier in the week, a woman in our church was telling me that someone had asked her, well, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God? I think perhaps that person was sceptical that maybe he didn't say that. Well, here's one place you could go to to answer that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. The Son is not a lesser being. He is the highest being. The Son is God on his throne. And he shares not just God's awesome power, but all his perfections. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. If that weren't enough to be clear on the superiority of the Son, well, he goes on to say that he's the eternal creator as well. Verse 10. And you, Lord... Still speaking of the Son, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Did you see just how high Jesus is above the angels? The Son is the Creator King, eternal, all-powerful, all-holy, far above all created beings, far above even the most amazing beings that have ever been made. The church, Father Augustine, said this, He who made all things is better than all things. He who made all beautiful things is more beautiful than all of them. He who made all mighty things is more mighty than all of them. He who made all great things is greater than all of them. Learn to love the creator in his creatures and the maker in what he has made. Look at an angel with all its power and glory and then stand in awe that the Son made that angel. And so therefore he must be infinitely more powerful and infinitely more glorious. Finally, verse 13 to 14. The Son is the conquering king. The mosaic is not quite finished. There's a gap. And the gap is at the foot of the Son's throne. And here in these last two verses, he lays the final pieces to complete the picture. Verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is a quote from Psalm 110. We're going to get to know Psalm 110 really, really well. It's the, um, the favorite psalm of the book of Hebrews. He points out that no angel has ever had those words said of them, only the Son. Only the Son gets to sit at God's right hand. But there's more. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The defeat of his enemies is how the story will end. See, there are still those who defy the Son, those who stand in opposition against him, who refuse to bow before him. And behind them stands the evil one, who, though mortally wounded at the cross, is still at large in the world and still seeking to work against the Son's purposes to save. But the Son sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling from heaven, and God has decreed that one day in the future, all his enemies will be defeated and humiliated before him. See, the final tiles are being placed at the foot of the throne, and what we see is the Son's feet on the necks of his enemies. The Son is the conquering King. He'll deliver his people from evil and he'll bring them to salvation. And in this again, he shows his greatness over the angels. See, the Son sends the angels to serve the needs of his people, verse 14. 
Some gives the orders, the angels obey. He brings salvation about, and the angels serve those who inherit that salvation. That's us. Now, how do they do that today? Well, to be honest, I'm not really sure what the answer is to that. I think at least in in protecting us from spiritual enemies, um, they work to ensure that we make it to the end, that we inherit the salvation that the Son has won for us. And with that, the mosaic's complete. We began our time by thinking about angels, and we had to do that because we're not really thinking about them very often. We don't really um, have them in our minds. We had to grasp that they are the most majestic and powerful and terrifying, glorious beings. But piece by piece, we've been shown, as the Psalms have been placed before us, that though the angels are wonderful, the sun is far, far greater. In the end, the question is not what do you think of angels, but what do you think of the sun? I wonder, when you think of Jesus, what image do you have in your mind's eye? Is he the baby in the manger? Well, he was. Is he the man preaching God's word and healing the sick? Well, he did those things. Maybe when you think of him, you see him on the cross, dying for your sins in your place. Praise God that he did that for us. Maybe even you think of him in the garden as he appears to Mary on that first Easter morning after he rose from the dead. It's amazing to think of him like that. See, all these understandings of Jesus, they're all good, they're all true. He's all these things. But do you ever think of him as Hebrews 1 describes? Behold the Son. After Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and there he has been crowned as King of the universe. He sits at the right hand of his Father. Behold the Son, the divine and Davidic Son. Behold the Son, the King of kings, the eternal creator king, the conquering king, before whom all his enemies will be cast down. Behold the Son, whom even angels fall on their face in front of to worship and adore. Do you know him? Will you worship him? And as we'll hear next week, will you listen to him? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning that you have lifted our eyes to gaze upon your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the King, that he's seated at your right hand, that he rules, and Lord God, that one day all his enemies will be humiliated before him, that he will bring to salvation all those who have trusted in his name. Our Father, as we think of these things, we're perhaps unfamiliar with them, but we pray, Lord God, that this view of the Lord Jesus Christ, where, you, where he presently is in the heavenly realms, 
that that view might fill our hearts and our minds as we go through this week and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.